All right. Well, welcome to, I already told you this is our first week of our new series. Uh, this is kind of a quick series, and today, I, as I was reading through uh, my notes that I wrote uh, a while ago, I thought, man, this may be a little short of a sermon, and so uh, don't get your hopes up. I can always fill in, but from my notes, it's not, uh, it's not as long as normal. My son leaned over to me while I go and went, man, how much do you have above that? And I said, not a lot today. Just calm down. Uh, so listen, we're glad that you're here because we're, we talk about the return. We talk about things that are returning, there's, especially this time of year. There's a number of different things that we could talk about. You know, we all hope for a tax return. Uh, that would be fantastic, right? Uh, I, as a pastor, some of you don't know the way we have to do our taxes a little different. I'm considered self-employed, and so there's no such thing as a tax return for a self-employed uh, person. So I, like every time this year, I just get real sad. Uh, maybe we talk about returning an item. Uh, some of you have already done that. Uh, uh, maybe Christmas presents that you didn't want or didn't like or maybe didn't fit, and so you have to return those things. Uh, we, we can think about items like that. I remember uh, famously uh, one year my mom, I don't know why, I was married. Jess and I went to Christmas at my mom and dad's house and I unwrapped a, a double-breasted suit, and I went, sweet, <laughs> and she was like, oh, you don't like it, and I was like, no, I mean, I just, I just don't wear a suit. And so, I mean, that's cool. And she was like, you can return it. It's like, I already had it planned. Okay, so like sometimes we return things like that. And you think, well, I remember my dad famously, uh, his brother who has now passed away, my uncle Mike was a, he was just a different guy. I've told you stories about him before. He was a, he was a jazz drummer. He was a professional jazz drummer. And so he just kind of, he just kind of, approached life in a different way. And I remember dad as a, a grown man, he's probably my age. Oh gosh, he was probably my age now. Um, and so I remember him getting a foot massager for Christmas and dad was just like, what am I going to do with a foot massager? <laughs> Take it back, return it. Right? So we think about maybe those kind of things. If we go into spiritual aspects of the return, we can even think about stories in scripture, like uh, the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son returning back to his dad. It's an incredible moment moment of, you know, I, I'm longing to fill my stomach with the, the food uh, the pigs are eating and, and all this kind of stuff. And he comes back, has a speech prepared. His dad just welcomes him back. It's an incredible uh, moment in scripture. And as we move closer into spring, like I was talking about in our welcome, well, we start thinking about Easter and we think about Christ's return. And, and although with something that we don't talk about, maybe as often as we should, it's something that we do wholeheartedly put our faith and trust and hope in, is that Christ is going to return, uh, he's going to come back, that he is going to fulfill the promise that he made to us, and he's going to call us home. And so we can think about all those kind of things. But really what I want us to do for the next three weeks, really this is just going to be uh, this week and then two more, I want us to think about our return, about our return to him because if we're real we've all wandered right at some point in our life whether maybe in our past or maybe right now or it's going to happen to you probably in the future that that you're going to veer off from what God really wants from you you're going to make your own decisions you're going to make your own um, choices either by apathy or neglect or you, you know your own willful decision we're going to drift and we're going to jump headlong into, and if maybe you're an old schooler, you'd say the word, you're going to backslide. That's a word we haven't used in, in Baptist churches in a long time. Some of y'all remember that. And we're just going to kind of not be where we're supposed to be spiritually with God 
much less physically or emotionally or relationally with God. So whatever you call it, I think there's a point in our life where we have to have a return. We need to return in repentance and obedience and submission. Maybe we need to return to church. Listen, some of you have been out of the habit of going to church for so long, you don't even remember the reason why you stopped in the first place. And, and, and maybe we need to get a return back to devotion, the things that we say are important, the things that we say, yes, this is the most important thing in my life, but maybe we've just not been doing it. We know we should be reading the Bible. We know that we should be in some sort of study in the Bible, not just reading it to say that we've checked off so many chapters this week, but to really study it and to get down into the, to the guts of it. We know that, that, that our prayer time and our devotion time and even, even our family time, you know, the most important time in, in, in anybody's house is the time that, that we have around the dinner table. That's the most important time. And, you know, most of us, and I'm raising my hand here too, we'll, we'll fix something or we'll grab something in a rush or maybe sometimes we're eating in the car on the way to something else or we're sitting in front of the television watching Netflix or whatever it is that you watch and... And sometimes we miss that around the table because that's where conversations happen that take us to deeper levels. It's where you find out what's really going on in in your world and you talk about things and you laugh about things and you dream about things. And we say, well, those things are really important. We need to get back to that. But then we don't really ever make the change in our life to do that. We need to return back to some of the things that we say are really important. We, I think sometimes we, we, you know, I, I talked about men's breakfast this morning. Those of you who were here for that, it was great and always is. And uh, I talked about Psalm fifty-one, twelve, where um, where David, after he had been kind of called out by Nathan the prophet for for what all he had done with Bathsheba and all that kind of stuff, and he, he writes Psalm fifty-one. It's this beautiful uh, psalm of repentance and asking for forgiveness. And in that, he says, "Restore to me the joy of my salvation." And I think for some of us, we just need to return back to what it means to be saved. That, that we've got this incredible gift of salvation that sometimes we overlook and that we neglect and maybe even we take for granted and that we never really connect the dots and go, man, this is an incredible gift that we've been given. Sometimes we just need to return to that. And go, that's enough, that's sufficient. That's, 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 that's a game changer in our life. And most of the time we approach it with, oh, I mean, yeah, I go to church and I, you know, I know who Jesus is and I'm saved and, and we just kind of move on about the rest of our life. Sometimes we need to return back to that as well. Whatever it is, I believe it's this time of year we've got to make commitments to make that kind of return, right? But right now we're on the, we're on the threshold of, of ball tournaments and, and dance competitions and golf tournaments and uh, turkey hunting and, uh, and you know, pretty weather and, uh, and spring longer days. I remember when I was in college at UALR, I was living at home with my mom and dad and I had bought my first truck. And, and it was my truck. Like I bought it with my own money and uh, it, was, uh, it was, oh gosh, I think the payment was like $212 a month. That tells you way back, 1998 GMC Sierra single cab, red, chrome, everything. And I washed that truck at least four times a week. If it was a pretty day, I wouldn't go to school. I'd skip college class because I was like, I'm not sitting in this class. I'm going to wash my truck. And I'd go home and wash my truck. And that kind of mentality is coming, right? It's pretty, oh man, we got other things we can do. We don't necessarily have to do the important things. I can skip out on that. We can do something else. And so listen, if we don't make commitments right now, then we're never going to return until the fall. 
when the summer's over because vacations and, and spring break plans and all those things are happening right now. And if we don't make these commitments to return now, then it'll be fall and we'll go, man, what happened? It's been forever since I've read my Bible or it's been forever since I've been at church or it's been forever since I've done this or since I've done that. I think right now we're on the brink of these important decisions to return. And so how do we with all of our baggage and all of our guilt and sometimes our neglect and our strained relationships, how do we have a moment of honesty and transparency and return to what we know we should have never left in the first place. I see, I believe over the next three weeks that if we're just real enough and we're honest enough and maybe even vulnerable enough with God that he can really change us in a way, incredible way, that will change the directory of our summer and spring and, and get us through some of those kind of lull moments that happen throughout the rest of the you know, We all have that, those, those wandering moments. If we can make some changes and be honest enough now, God will see us through the return back to him. So how do we do that? This week we're going to look at a faith return. Next week we're going to look at a focused return. And the final week we're going to look at a full return. And if you are a member of Emmanuel, you know I never do that. I never do like an alliteration or a faith. Fo- I don't do I, just, I, I was writing it out and I was like, hey, this works really well. So uh, this is going to help you remember, hopefully, uh, faith focused and full. And we're going to look at those week by week. But this week first, obviously, is a faith return. If you have your Bible, go to Luke chapter 17. Uh, Luke 17 is an incredible uh, passage of scripture. Jesus is headlong into his ministry. He's working miracles. He's already, uh, uh, he's already done a lot of different things and taught through a lot of different things, especially if you know the book of Luke, it kind of moves through this pretty quickly. Uh, he's <clears throat> changing and challenging the status quo with a lot of things. As a matter of fact, at the beginning of chapter 17, he tells his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come. But woe to that person through whom they come. That's an incredible verse in scripture. And, and he's basically saying, listen, you're not perfect people. You're going to mess up, right? There's going to be things that happen in your life that are going to drag you away, that are going to make you kind of veer off. Don't be the person that makes other people veer off. And he, he gives them this incredible, just kind of drops this in their lap and, the, and they, don't, they don't even know how to really even uh, respond to that. And verse three tells them if somebody does sin, then rebuke them, like call, call it what it is. But if they ask for forgiveness, then forgive them. Especially if they sin against you, forgive them over and over and over and over again. And the disciples' only response to this, this entire conversation is in verse uh, five, I think is where it says, uh, the disciples said to the Lord, increase our faith. Right? When Jesus puts something very hard like in your lap, our response sometimes is going, I don't know if I've got enough faith to do this. Increase our faith, Lord. He says, you're going to wander. You're going to struggle. Don't be the person that causes other people. You're going to struggle. And then when people do do things against you, man, forgive them. Forgive them and forgive them and forgive them. Increase our faith. And then what's going to happen in the next few verses is really going to challenge that statement by the disciples in a way that they never saw coming, in a way that they were like, I I never even began to even process it like this. So Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Let's read how he's going to expound that request. 
Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now let's pause right here and let's get some kind of social and historical context. I think I've got a map on the screen, Mark. Can you hit that button on there? Okay, so here's the, here's the map of what is in this world, uh, what we would consider Israel. Okay, so you have Galilee in pink at the top. Uh, and the middle section is Samaria, which is kind of the purple color. And then that greenish down at the bottom is, is Judea or Judea. Uh, and that has the capital city of Jerusalem in it. Okay, all of that combined is what we would say is Israel. But it's separated now because of years of history uh, through the exile uh, and then the return. And, uh, you know, they got, we got this 400 years of intertestamental, intertestamental history that we don't really talk about very much. Uh, this, this has got just different regions. It's all still quote unquote Israel, but really Judea is, is kind of the hub for all things Israel. Now, what's important to us is the red lines and the little green line. These are the routes that Jesus took and that most people would take from Galilee to Jerusalem, to Judea. Okay. And so uh, most people would uh, come down out of Galilee. They would cross over the Jordan River into the Decapolis and into Perea and then travel south and then cross back over the Jordan River when they were in Judea, all the while just trying to avoid the Samaritans. Now remember, the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. And this is, like I said, this is hundreds of years of history. It goes all the way back, even further than the exile. We don't have time to get into that. But think about it like this. When, when the northern and the southern kingdom in the Old Testament divided, right? We had the northern kingdom in the north. Its capital city was Samaria. That's where they get their names, okay? Samaria in the north and then Jerusalem and Judea in the south. When the Assyrians came in and took over the northern kingdom, they were smart. They, they took them and they took all the influential and the rich people and they booted them out. They carried them away, but they left the poor people and the socially really non-influential people in the town. And they, they carted in people from all their other kingdoms to kind of come in and repopulate the area. And so these other people came in and they had their foreign gods and they had their idols and they had all this kind of stuff. And the Jews who were left started worshiping these pagan idols. They started kind of devoting themselves to these foreign gods. And then they also started to intermarry between themselves and the Assyrians, which that's a big no-no in the Old Testament. They, they were trying to keep Israel just Israel, okay? And so when all that happened... The people who lived in the southern kingdom just were, they were just done with them. How could you? You couldn't do that. You're not even a real Israelite anymore. They considered them uh, almost, they called them a, a half Jew. They were halves because they, they didn't see themselves as, as a full-blooded Jew anymore. And so what we know eventually happens is the southern kingdom uh, eventually comes in the Babylon's, uh, Babylon uh, empire comes in and takes them and they boot them out. But 70 years later, they're allowed to come back. And so they come back and they begin to rebuild the temple. But at the time that they come back, the Sumerians, the Samaritans have been living there for like 200 years. And, and they've already kind of assimilated into that Assyrian culture. 
And as they began to rebuild Jerusalem, the, the guys in Samaria, they were, they were fighting them tooth and nail. They were talk, you read Nehemiah and they're, you know, they're always attacking the wall and all this kind of stuff is happening. And these are, these are Jews, but not real, I mean, they're not really practicing, they're not real devout Jews. They've broken a lot of the rules that they're not supposed to break. And so there's just this hatred that develops between them. Now, when, when the southern kingdom came back, this is 586 BC, we've got almost, they've been there for almost 200 years at that point. Now we've got 500 years fast forward to Jesus. So we're looking at 700 years, this kind of battle between the Samaritans and the Jews. This is, this is a long history of hatred. And so they're kind of settled in the middle. We've got Galileans in the north and we've got Judeans in the south, but then we've got these, this group of people that we just don't like in the middle. And so if we're going to have to travel from north to south, then we're going around them, right? We're going to go all the way off into the Decapolis. We're going to go down into Perea, then we're going to come back over. Matter of fact, that route that's, that's over the Jordan River and comes back down and crosses back over the Jordan River again uh, is the story of the Good Samaritan happens on that road between Jericho and Bethany. Okay, which is that little, uh, I guess that's an, a westward jaunt uh, towards Jerusalem, that little bitty short red line down at the bottom. That's where the story of the Good Samaritan happens. But if you notice, there's, there's these red lines that go straight down to the middle of Samaria. Those are the routes that Jesus took. Matter of fact, that one that goes straight through the heart of Samaria when he stops there in the middle is where he encountered the woman at the well. You remember that story in Scripture? He's sitting in the middle of Samaria in a place that he's not quote unquote supposed to be around people that they don't quote unquote like. And he's having this incredible deep conversation with this woman. Other times Jesus did take the, the Eastern route. He would cross over and he'd go down and he'd come back across. Sometimes he would go all the way down what would be the East side of Samaria, but still in Samaria and encounter people and, and, and have these incredible conversations with people. And I know you're saying like, Matt, why in the world does any of this matter? Well, it matters because where Jesus is in this story, he's walking that border, Samaria on his south, Galilee on his north. And he's walking this border really in a highly uh, contentious area. These borders are like, People just don't, they don't like being close to each other. They don't like being there. Everybody there was on edge. Everybody there had prejudices. They had tensions. Everyone there felt like this was just a transition. Like we're just trying to get from point A to point B. They were on this journey. There's nothing significant's going to happen. Nothing incredible's going to happen. We're just going to get through this as soon as quickly as we can so that we can get on to other things that are more important. Everyone did not expect anything, including the disciples, except Jesus. See, Jesus, I believe, likes to take areas where we don't think that God could do anything or a situation where we feel like maybe we just got to get through this as quickly as we can in moments of our life with tension and unsettledness and all those things. And I believe that's where God chooses to move. And in the story, he's in that moment. He knows it. The disciples feel it. Even the Samaritans feel it. And so Jesus and the disciples enter and they encounter these 10 men. And most likely, they are a mixed bag of men. 
probably some Samaritans, probably some Galileans, maybe even some Pereans or even some people who are outside of the empire because they were lepers, right? And we know that in, in, in the Bible that leper can, can mean anything, any kind of skin disease, you had it. But the treatment was the same and the treatment was exile. You can't be around anybody. You gotta live in your own little colony. You can't, you can't even go to temple to worship. You sure can't go home to your family because what if it spreads and what if it gets everybody sick? And so they have to stay by themselves. And so they stood at a distance and called out, right? They were doing what they had to do that was, that was required by them to do. They weren't allowed to get close. But even in their social distance, they knew Jesus was a healer. They had heard about him somehow. They knew who he was. They knew he had the ability. The question was, would he? Verse 14. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now I read that and I go, that's it? (laughs) I mean, he didn't even approach them. He didn't, he didn't teach them. He didn't touch them. You know, I, I was thinking, at least remember the guy that was blind and Jesus spit in the mud and rubbed the mud on his eyes? At least do something like that. There was, no, there was none of that. It was just go, show yourself to the priests, and you'll be cleansed. That was what they were supposed to do. I mean, honestly, that part of the cleansing process to be deemed clean is they had to go to a priest, and the priest had to say, yes, you're clean, you can go back home. Thank the Lord we don't have to do that anymore. Can you imagine? Y'all going to like the doctor and the doctor going, go see Matt and let him see if you can go home. I don't want to see you guys. Like, I don't want to, do you see if this spot's cleared up? No, I don't, I don't care. This is what they had to do. And so this is, this is normal, okay? Go show yourselves to the priests. We're gonna come back to this in a minute, but remember this. Remember this command and the result. As they went, they were clean. Verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Now, I love Scripture, and I love the way that things are phrased in Scripture, because if we were just to read this phrase by phrase, one of them came back praising God in a loud voice. We go, oh, that's so good. Good for him. Like, I'm so glad that guy came back. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Oh, that's nice. That's what we would want to do. If that was us, I would just, you know, we'd see Jesus, we'd just fall down at his feet, we'd thank him, uh, we'd be praising him. And he was a Samaritan. And every Jewish reader and listener to this story said, he was a who? These are the people they're trying to avoid. These are the people they didn't really want anything to do with. They really didn't even care about them. The best question they'd be asking is, why did he return? Why did, of all people, why did he come back? I have in my notes just to the side, there are no outcasts in heaven. There are no outcasts in heaven. No matter what you feel about how you are accepted or unaccepted with a group of people, how, how maybe even uh, insecure you feel with around certain people or around your social group or even in your, in your work group or your family, there are no outcasts in heaven. 
Look what Jesus said to him in verse 17. Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Did you notice that that when Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest, he didn't say, you're cleansed or you have been cleaned. Now go show yourself. He just said, go show yourself to the priest. Knowing that he had already cleansed them. Knowing that they had already received full healing. And Jesus said, didn't all of them get healed? Where are the other nine? Is there only one that came back? And that's when it hit me. This is what I wrote in my notes. This is the pattern of our lives. We are in desperate situations. We, we are in moments of loneliness or separation or we're in the position in our life where we need God to do something that only God can do. And then he meets us in the most surprising places. And he heals us and he restores us and he protects us or he provides for us. And more often than that, we are among the nine that never return. Listen, we needed what we needed. We got what we got. And we go on about our lives, never returning to the one who actually healed us. How dare we? How dare we cry out to God, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Heal my marriage. Protect my kids. Save me from this mess that I've gotten myself into. Heal me from this sickness or restore to me what I have chosen to lose. Give back to me what I let go of on purpose. And then him do that. Him help and give and restore and heal and protect and save. And God, who in Psalm 145, 8 and 9 says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all. His tender mercies are over all his works. He does what he says he's going to do. How dare we not return and praise him for it? How could we? And before we sit in our righteousness and sit here in our own little holy huddle and think, oh yeah, I know somebody who, who almost got a divorce and man, God did something in their life and saved them and they hadn't been in church in six months. Or I know somebody who got healed from something and he prayed and prayed, maybe we as a church even prayed for them and they hadn't been here since they got healed. Listen, it's not my job to preach at or to any one person. It's my job to deliver God's truth to you. Because church, we need to return. This is not just for an ambiguous they. This is for you and I. This is for us. This is for church people who know right and wrong and continue to take advantage of God's grace day in and day out. This is for us, church. Don't sit back and think, oh man, there's a couple people need to hear this. You need to hear this. I need to hear this. God, forgive us for not recognizing the miracles that you've done in our lives. Forgive us for not in every situation returning in praise. Hear what Jesus says to the Samaritan. He comes and he says, verse 19, he said to him, 
rise and go, your faith has made you well. Rise because he fell down at Jesus' feet, right? Remember that? When he, when he came back, he fell at his feet and we, we won't even get on our knees to pray because it's uncomfortable. We sure won't come to the altar and bow and pray because what if somebody sees us? I wonder how many of us are allowing the opinions of others to keep us from returning to him. This man ran and he fell at Jesus' feet. And Jesus looks at him and he says, get up, man. Your faith has made you well. Faith. Not in the healing, but in the healer. Faith, not not in the restoration, but in the restorer. Faith, not in salvation, but in the Savior. Your faith has made you well. I think too many of us want the benefits of following Jesus without actually following Jesus. We want the benefit of close relationship without having close relationship. We want the benefit We want the healing, we want the salvation, we want the restoration, but we don't want the healer, the savior, or the restorer. We want what he can do for us, not who he is for us. And oftentimes we want the reward without the return. We want the reward without the return. See, there's... There's got to be the return. You don't go to the store and say, well, that shirt didn't fit. I want my money back without returning the shirt. Well, I don't like where I am in my life. I just want God to change my life. Well, then you need to return. No, I just... I just want the reward. I'd much rather just get the benefit without the commitment. I want abs without having to work out. Amen? That would be awesome. But spiritually, church, I think it's time for us to return without even asking for the reward. What if, what if we just returned? Said, God, I, blessings, thank you, but I don't, I'm not asking for that. I just, I just need to fall at your feet and return. I need to get back to what I know I'm supposed to be doing, the way I'm supposed to be living. Look at my last thoughts. Really two last thoughts, and this is out of the ordinary. I just have one, but don't miss these. Number one in my last thoughts. Remember in verse 13 when Jesus said, go present yourself to the priest's. In verse 14, it says, as they went, they were cleansed. Their obedience determined their cleansing. If they didn't go to the priests, would they have been cleansed? I don't know. None of us really know. But their obedience, if they would have just said, ah, I don't want to do that. 
I just want him to cleanse me. I don't want to have to do anything. I just want to be clean. I want to go back to my family. I want to go back to life how it used to be. I want to go back to what I know. Can I just go? I don't want to have to do the obedience part. Just let me get the reward. I wonder how many of us are asking God to do something and when he responds with a go, we refuse. And we never receive what we've asked for. God, I need you to do this. I need you to heal my, my family. I need you to heal my marriage or my finances. And God says, go and do this. And you go, I'm not asking to do something. I'm asking you to do something. And we never receive because we're never obedient. The first step in a faith return is obedience to what he says, whatever it is. These men went in obedience and they were cleansed. How dare we ask something of God and not obey when he asks something of us? Second of my last thought, I guess thoughts today, plural. The word that Jesus uses in verse 19, my Bible translates as well. Your faith has made you well, okay? If you have a King James Version Bible, it says your faith has made you whole. W-H-O-L, that's, that's a better word, it really is. It's a better translation for that Greek word. The Greek word used here is sozo, and it's spelled S-O-Z-O, but it's spelled, pronounced sozzo, okay? Sozzo means to save. It means to save. And so really what Jesus said is your faith has made you saved. His faith saved him. See, nine of the ten men were after cleansing. One of the ten men was after saving. He wanted something more than just the benefit. He wanted the one who gave the benefit. Every one of the men were healed. Only one of them was whole. The one who returned. I believe, church, it's time for us to return. It's time for us to be made whole again. We, we run and we're pulled and life has us spread thin and, and it's easy. Listen, it's easy to get distracted and stop doing the things that we know we should be doing, but it's real It's real when God comes and says, hey, listen, where are you? And you look around and you're like, man, I didn't know I got this far off base. I didn't know I got this far out of God's will. From I gotta, I gotta return. The first step, the faith return is obedience. Whatever God's asking you to do right now is obey it. If it's confession of sin, if it's making a relationship right, if it's, if it's just kind of acknowledging where you are and, and making the first step back, whatever God's calling you to, this is your moment for return. 
We're going to have a hymn of invitation. Some of you need to come and pray. I mean, you just do. You need to come and pray. Not because there's anything special that happens at the altar. It's just an act of obedience. It's just like that man falling at the feet of Jesus, saying, I just got to come back. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, because guess what? We're all messed up. We're all in need of a return. Some of you can do that right where you are, and that's okay. That's just your prerogative. But but whatever it is, church, whatever God's saying, this is what you got to return to, you better obey it, do it, respond to it, and enjoy the return so that you can enjoy the reward. Would you stand with me as TJ comes? He's going to sing over us. I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, if you need to come talk to me, this is your opportunity to talk to me. Maybe, maybe you feel like you're so far away you can't return. I'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe you need to understand who you're returning to. I'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe you just need to link arms with our church and what's going on. This is your opportunity to respond to whatever God's doing. If you just need to come and pray, it's open to you. You come. If you need to come talk to me, I'll be down front. And you can come talk to me. Don't miss your option to return this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for all that you are and all that you've given. Thank you for your son who provides a way to return. And Father, now in our brokenness, in our recognition, God, we're just asking that you would do something that only you can do, God, that you would call us home. And God, that we would be obedient. Help us to take the first steps in that and help us not miss the opportunity this morning to return.